You are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. Welcome back, family, to the Storm Tracker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin, chilling with my guy Frank Tucker, representing the crib, South Florida, and we represent canescounty.com, part of the rivals.com network. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all platforms. Also, subscribe to this YouTube channel live from Canes County. Most importantly, subscribe to canescounty.com for free. Use the promo code Miami30. Signing day has come and gone here, Frank, and Miami has the fourth ranked class in the nation, according to the rivals.com team rankings. They did well is probably an understatement, right? I mean, they flipped guys. They kept guys, most of them. And, I, I mean, even you could say the the one big-time player, Kevin Riley, that flipped away from Miami, he kind of replaced him, so to speak, with a Jordan Lyle at running back. So just your overall perspective of, of what happened last week, uh, during signing day, and who who's the biggest signee for you? Uh, the biggest signee for me is Justin Scott. Just the fact that they were to flip him, they were able to flip him so late in the process. It was at a position in need. You know, we we see Miami continuing to build up the edge position in a major way. Majority of the eight or so defensive linemen that are signed in this class are from that edge position. Uh, you know, you did have two guys that are really good players in, 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 in uh, Dalen Russell and um, Artavius Jones. But the difference is Justin Scott fits the molds from a physical standpoint and from a recruiting pedigree standpoint that Miami hasn't been able to hit on on a consistent basis. And the last time you were able to get a five-star caliber defensive tackle was Leonard Taylor. And that's a guy who's probably going to the first round of the NFL draft in April. So for me yeah. – it's great to be able to add a Zaquan Patterson, who everybody knows I love so much. It's it's great to be able to add a Josiah Trader. It's great to be able to add a, a Jordan Lyle. And, and it's great. I, I think overall they did a really good job of adding a number of blue chip prospects to a class that back in the summer we were wondering if they were going to be top 25. Uh, so overall, just, just a big, a big, big class for Mario Cristobal, especially coming out of a year where they're seven and five right now. Who, who would think that a team that is seven and five is able to land a top five class nationally? It just shows that kids and, and families trust in what Mario Cristobal is selling to everyone right now. You go from five to five and seven, where you had a borderline top 10 class, eighth overall to the number four class, and, and you're just over 500. That, that's, that's a testament to what Miami is doing on the recruiting trail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I think this solidifies Miami in the top five of recruiting for, I would say, the rest of Cristobal's tenure here at Miami. Who knows if that will be forever? It seems I don't see any reason why he would leave, especially in the Liverpool Championships. But you you alluded to it earlier. I mean, after a seven and five season, let's talk about the five and seven season from last year. You're able to get a top 10 class. And then now you get a top five class with seven wins, maybe eight. Imagine when this team will start to win double digits on a yearly basis. Uh, that's when you'll see the top wide receiver 
commit to Miami without any question, because in the past two years, you missed out on the top uh, receiver out of South Florida, losing out on Brandon Ennis. And then now uh, Jeremiah Smith as well. But once Miami starts winning on a level where it's consistent and where they're putting NFL draft picks in the league on, on a consistent basis, especially at that wide receiver position, I, I think the sky's the limit for this class. As far as the biggest signee for me, I mean, uh, there's a lot of great ones. Of course, Armando Blunt is is an excellent talent, especially to get him so young because he is going to be a monster. Like once he fills out and, you know, two, three years into the program, he's going to be an absolute monster uh, in, in this program or for this program. And I think that's just going to continue the pipeline to not for not only Miami Central, which he spent one year at, but also I think from from Dillard or, or the Broward area as well, uh, because, of course, he kind of grew up in that system. So I, I would say that is the, the biggest signee because it has the probably the biggest impact because you flip a five star on signing day from your rival and he has potential to be an absolute dog once, you know, he gets into a college weight room year by year. There are some underrated players, though, as well, Frank, in this class. Um, I, I think some of some of these underrated guys may turn out to be some high level players as well. Who do you think is the most underrated in this 24 class? Most underrated. It's tough because Cole McConathy would probably be a, would have been my pick, but we bumped him up to a four star. So that makes him a blue chip prospect. So I don't think that makes him underrated. Probably right. Chris Wheatley Humphrey. Chris Wheatley Humphrey was a guy that people were kind of saying might not end up in this class. And, and there was a potential for that with, with what, depending on what happened with Kevin Riley, but Chris Wheatley Humphrey is a 2000 yard back out of South Florida with, multiple years of production and explosive skill set and positional versatility that can't go unmentioned. It, the fact that he's able to, if it doesn't work out at running back, transition to defensive back seamlessly is, is something that I feel adds value to that signing. He is a six foot one, six foot two player with really good athleticism, elite, you know, straight line speed. He's shown the ability to do different things as a back. Obviously, he's got to grow a little bit more, weighing about 175 pounds right now. But we've seen him dominate at the cornerback position at in seven-on-seven seven settings. He, he did it at Battle Miami in the one tournament he really played uh, this, this past year in seven-on. And then he was a two-way player for South Broward this year, going up against a number of Division One kids on the offensive side of the ball. And he did a really good job. He's technically sound at the position. He's got great length, so physically he fits the mold of what you would want as a cor at cornerback. And anytime the ball's in his hands, he's going to turn into a running back. So just that versatility, I think, makes him extremely underrated. The production makes him extremely underrated. And anytime you can you can grab a kid out of South Florida who has done it in a big way, I feel like that's a win because obviously the crib comes first. Absolutely. Definitely love his versatility as far as – playing on offense and also playing on defense. I mean, he really shined for me at the Miami camp uh, where he was locking down players like Luane McCoy um, on the opposite side of him as a, as a defensive back. And then also showing his prowess as a, as a pass catcher as well. Really excited for Hellcat Chris uh, making his way to Coral Gables. 
coupling him with Jordan Lyle is a really great tandem from South Florida that should be rocking hard rock in the future. Underrated for me, though, I like Juan Manaya a lot, man. I just just his size and and his strength and 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 his agility. I, I feel like he has potential to really be one of those pillars of this offensive line in the future. Uh, he's from the Northeast, like a Samson Oakland Lola. Uh, I think, you know, that pedigree is going to pay dividends along the line. Uh, and when you look at his tape, he, he's just a mauler, man. It, I mean, it, uh, of any recruits in the past two years, he reminds me of the most of uh, Francis Maunoa. Uh, as far as his tape is concerned, it, it, he's just an absolute mauler. And uh, I think he has potential to to really be a, a player that, that Miami leans on in the running game, especially, and also in pass blocking as well. So I think Juan Manaya has a really, really uh, bright future. So like, like we talked about, man, Miami with the fourth ranked class, you really can't ask for anything better uh, from this hurricane staff. Shout out to all those guys down there, you know, Alex Mirabal, Kevin Beard, Jason Taylor, obviously. Uh, they killed it once again. But we still got a month left, right? Uh, until signing day 2.0. And a couple of guys still out there kind of hanging around especially uh, Xavier Mincy, you know, like that, that's the guy that signed allegedly. Right. <laughs> um, but did he sign with Miami? Did he not? Do you expect him to announce with the hurricanes and throw up the U at the all-star game? Yeah. I don't think we're going to see him, you know, announce that he's going to the university of Miami. I think this is going to be one where he ends up at Alabama. I don't think that Florida ended up winning out. I don't think Florida State ended up wanting him at the end after a major uh, DB class that they brought in. And I just feel like Miami just didn't win out here. And I, I think from everything I've heard, it, it's been an Alabama win. Uh, and, and it's not going to be surprising when that decision comes. Could could he surprise everybody yeah, and say Miami? I know that him and Coach Die have built a really good relationship. There is the potential for him to play cornerback at Miami where at some places – they were looking at him as more of a safety. Yeah. I, I just I, I think that I think it wasn't Miami. It wasn't Miami for him. I think if they wanted him, they would have had to grab LJ McCray and, and they did. You know, LJ McCray ended up deciding to stick with uh Florida over going to Auburn or Miami. And I, I think that if it was a package deal, he probably ends up in Coral Gables, but I do not expect him to announce Miami. That's disappointing because I'd love to see uh, another defensive back added uh, to this class. But, you know, uh, the guys that they do have are are very talented. And the Dylan Day, Isaiah Thomas, uh, and, of course, Zaquan Patterson. Really excited to kind of see, you know, what those guys do at the U. But um, it's also still kind of transfer portal uh, season as well. Miami's still looking for a quarterback out there. You got – Three names that are really kind of floating around are, are, are KJ Jefferson from Arkansas, Will Howard, uh, which is your guy from Kansas State, and, and then also, of course, Cam Ward from Washington State. 
Uh, are you hearing anything lately about who Miami is going to go with at quarterback or, or are they going to go with the guys they got? I think that they're waiting on Cam Ward and Will Howard. And if things don't happen there, it's KJ Jefferson. I think KJ Jefferson would like to end up at the University of Miami. I think Cam Ward's I think Cam Ward wants to go to Florida State. I don't think Florida State is paying up NIL wise to what he wants. And there is potential for him to go into the NFL draft. And so that's something to watch there. And then Will Howard, it's Miami and USC with him. Obviously, there's a lot of smoke with USC because, you know, one of their prize recruits from the last class ends up going to the transfer portal feeling almost disrespected that he wasn't the next guy up and Malachi Nelson. Does that mean that he's going there? He hasn't announced the commitment there yet. You think that if it would have happened, it would have already happened. Yeah. From everything I heard, it was, it was never a lock that he was going to USC. I know like a week or week and a half, almost two weeks ago, people were kind of pigeonholing him there and it's still been a wide open race. His family is pretty transparent with the process. and, And I think that they haven't made a decision just yet. A lot of these quarterbacks are waiting for each domino to fall because, listen, as one falls, that NIL money does go up for the next guy, right? And yeah, and when and one position and when one spot goes, that means that there's only so many that are left. So, you know, Florida State's still looking for a quarterback. Miami's still looking for a quarterback. USC's still looking for a quarterback. Uh, you know, there are a number of different places that could be could be dipping into the transfer portal. People are saying Georgia could even trip, you know, dip into the transfer portal. You saw Oregon go after two guys. They got Dylan Gabriel and they got Dante Moore. So it, it, it is a crazy time for the quarterback race. But I think those are the three candidates for Miami right now. I do think that there are a lot of options for Miami if, if their top two and Will Howard and Cam Ward don't end up at Miami. But right now, I think that's what they're focusing on with KJ Jefferson as a backup option. Yeah, I, I I think I said in the last uh, podcast that you know I would rather a, a, a Miami get uh, Cam Ward over uh, Will Howard and KJ Jefferson. But when I look back at KJ Jefferson's tape and what he was going through, I'm okay with KJ Jefferson. I really am. I, I'm really okay. With, you know, because let, let's be honest. Uh, he was being coached by Dan Enos over there at Arkansas, (laughs) you know, and then they, you know, they let go of him mid season. You know how that transition is uh, always is. So the offensive line wasn't very good over there at Arkansas. So I I, I think I I jumped the gun because of the stats, you know, the stats weren't staggering, but then when I kind of look more into it, I'm like, okay, I think KJ Jefferson can, be the guy. So I wouldn't be disappointed at all if his name was the name that ended up uh, with Miami. Um, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about the quarterback um, for the Pinstripe Bowl in a second. But one other name that's, that's kind of popped up as far as the transfer portal is your guy, man, Antoine. A- Antoine Jackson, the uh, the cornerback uh, originally from Dillard, of course, originally committed to Georgia, then flipped to Miami. And then last minute, he decides to sign with East Carolina for playing time, which ended up kind of working out for him because he got the playing time that he wanted and he got a pick six as well. But now back in the transfer portal, do you think he comes back? Do you think Miami welcomes him back? I think the fans are going to welcome him back. You know, if you look at the reception online, everybody's been pretty open arms 
with Tuan potentially coming back to the University of Miami. Listen, it was one of those things where there were some off-the-field things that were tied into the situation, and and he was 17 years old when he signed with the University of Miami. We saw what happened with with Armando Blunt, right? It was a little bit of a tumultuous recruitment. I think it's very much the same thing with with, with Tuan, right? It, It was just one of those situations where he was a child. He was a baby. He couldn't even sign his NLI by himself at the time because he was so young. Right. And really, he's still supposed to be in high school. We're, t- we're supposed to be talking about him as a top five cornerback in 2024, signing with the University of Miami, not a 2023 kid. So I, I think that, listen, there's definitely getting, let's see what happens with the conversations internally at the University of Miami. I think that this is definitely a Mario Cristobal decision. Um, and, and I do think that the goal is goal for Tuan is definitely to end up at the University of Miami. I, I think that the kid wants to be back home. I think that there's an opportunity for him in this defensive backfield because he has the versatility to play cornerback or safety. He's good enough for both spots. He showed that he could tackle a little bit in college, even as a young kid. He did have some solid production, was one of the higher graded cornerbacks uh, in the freshman class in all of college football. I know it was a lesser competition, but it's better competition than he would have been playing in high school. So I, I, I think that he got a level of development. I think he added some good weight. He looks like a good, you know, a, a, a solid project for Miami if he were to come here. And let's call it a spade a spade. Miami, other than Ryan Mack, got projects at the cornerback position in the last two classes, right? You got Tamari Brown, who's been really good, right? But he could be a guy yes. that even moves back to safety, depending, depending on what happens at the safety position, just because he's such a big player. So Dias Richard, we don't know what you were going to get until – he shined a little bit for Miami, but early on in the year, he wasn't even really playing. O.J. Frederick, we love his talent, 6'2", 175 pounds, really good athleticism, but it wasn't all perfect this year at St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, he's still a work in progress, and I do think that at the safety position, you know, you grab a transfer, uh, you know, with three years of eligibility remaining, and you do have Zaquan Patterson, but Isaiah Thomas hasn't played football in two years, essentially, uh, you know, Dylan Day is more of a nickel. And, you know, Marquise Williams, we thought he was supposed to be the guy this year. He didn't even really play. Jaden Harris, a former cornerback, ends up taking his spot as the as the next guy up at safety. So I think that yeah. there are still some question marks at defensive back to where there's a reason that you were trying to grab an Xavier Lucas and a, and a Zay Mincy, right? Those are two guys with that same positional versatility at 6'1 or taller to be able to play free safety or cornerback. And I think Tuan can fit that mold, right? You struck out. Miami didn't have a defensive back commit after the begin, after the middle of August. It was Aquan Patterson as the last defensive back commit uh, in the 2024 class. And I think that's a problem, right? Like the fact that Miami didn't really finish strong at that position is a little worrisome for the depth aspect of the position and, and for the future of the position because – you didn't. You struck out on a number of different guys. Ellis Robinson was supposed to be the guy, right? Then it was supposed to be Xavier Lucas, Say Mincy. There was it really like no, like Ryan Mack. Miami kind of lucked into Ryan Mack because he was a legacy. Nobody knew that he was going to become the 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 upper echelon cornerback that he was this year in South Florida. Now I think that he's going to come in, and I think he could be a guy that's going to get into the rotation by mid-year. He's that good of a player. He's that technically sound. The kid is working his butt off. He, he's going to be at you know, uh, 185, 190 pounds, in my opinion, with sub-11 speed. So 
you got one solid guy that I think is ready to play college football. But if you bring Tuan in there, I think that helps. It helps from a depth aspect. It helps from a competitive standpoint. And it helps from a pedigree standpoint. He's a former blue chip prospect. Even when he reclassed, he was still a top 20 cornerback as a 17-year-old in a class full of 18- and 19-year-old kids. So for me, he's a must-add. I think that he'd be a great fit at Miami, and I think the kid wants to be home. And the fact that he jumped in the portal before solidifying something is, is a testament to where the kid wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. And he's going to feel at home because he's got a couple of former teammates uh, you know, they're already Armando Blunt also uh, also committed to the class, um, former teammates in Nigel Lee Kelly and Chris Johnson Jr. Uh, these are guys that he's familiar familiar with and can kind of show him the ropes um, of what it takes to be a Miami Hurricane and to be a, a college athlete on the power five level. So I think it's a perfect fit and I hope it does uh, end up happening. But now we have the Pinstripe Bowl coming up tomorrow where the Miami Hurricanes will take on the Rutgers uh, Scarlet Knights. Should be a good coaching battle uh, between uh, Mario Cristobal and Greg Schiano. Of course, Schiano has ties to Miami. And, you know, these these two guys are, are good friends and they're basically kind of building up uh, their programs. Um Basically, from the ground up, this is the second go-round, actually, for Shiano, and he was very successful in his first go-round, um, producing many great players along the way. Uh, but this one is an interesting one because Miami will be playing with a, will not be playing with a ton of players that they played with this season. Uh, of Obviously, Cam Kitchens, James Williams won't be in this game. Leonard Taylor won't be in this game. Matt Lee, Colby Young. Of course, Tyler Van Dyke, um, Javion Cohen, all of these players that were key contributors to this team this season will not be in this game. So I think that is part of the reason why the line has moved so drastically, Frank, from the Hurricanes being favored by four to now Rutgers being favored by one. Because on the flip side, Rutgers has had like a ton of guys saying that they're committed to Rutgers for the following season, all of those guys are the top guys on the team and they'll be playing in this bowl game. So just with all of that context, I mean, how do you think it all plays out on um, tomorrow at Yankee Stadium? I think it's going to be a low scoring game. It, it, Rutgers has one of the better defenses in college football, one of the worst offenses in college football. And Miami's going in with a backup quarterback against a really talented Rutgers defense. And the only person that they lost on their defense was their top cornerback for the NFL draft. So that's going to hurt them a little bit, right? It's Let's see what Jacoby George does against their number two guy rather than their number one guy. But Miami's losing some guys as well, right? You lose a Tyler Van Dyke. You lose a Colby Young. You lose your center in Matt Lee. You lose your starting guard in J.B. on Cohen. You lose the guy who had really – you know, the statistically the best year, in my opinion, and, and Don Chaney in the backfield. And I know that you got guys to replace him, but Miami's still going to have to replace him. We know that everything that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal has been saying since the beginning of the year was that Matt, Matt McCoy was next up on this offensive line. He is an NFL talent from their perspective. And we know Ryan Rodriguez, a Columbus grad, is, is going to be a professional. He's going to be a hard worker. He's going to know the scheme, and he's going to be tough. Uh, it's just he's not Matt Lee. There's a reason that Matt Lee was such a big addition in, in, in the last cycle. So 
Let's see how, you know, it works. But I think that Miami's going to end up winning this one. I think that talent is going to supersede, uh, you know, a home field advantage and, and having a number of prospects coming back. I think Jaden Harris showed us enough on the defensive side of the ball to be able to replace a Cam Kinchins and Marquise Williams. Let's see what he's able to do. But I, I do think, you know, you bring back a Francisco Mauanoa at that linebacker position where he had seven, what is it, 17 and a half tackles for loss, which is like fifth best in the country. Uh, you bring back majority of the defensive line. Jafari Harvey, I don't feel like is that big of a loss because I feel like they did have depth at that defensive end spot. You bring back all your defensive backs, basically. And Jacoby George and Xavier Ostrepo, in my opinion, were the two best receivers on the team. I know Coley Young was a freak athlete. He gave you that size aspect of the thing. But Isaiah Horton has shown us flashes this year of being able to do the same thing. He's had some yeah. huge plays in some big games, and I don't think that there's going to be a major drop-off in the passing game because of the lack of Colby Young. Now, I do think that there's going to be a drop-off in the passing game because I just don't think Jakari Brown is as good as Tyler Van Dyke. And I think that that drop-off in the passing game might give it a boost in the run game. Let's see what Mark Fletcher can do with more carries. Let's see what A.J. Allen can do when he's out of the doghouse. Hopefully that he is in this game. Uh, you know, we know what Henry Parrish is going to bring to the table, some balance uh, and, and some veteran leadership in that backfield. And Jakari Brown is going to open some things up along the edges in that read option game, in my opinion. So I think Miami's going to win. I put a 27-17 prediction out there. I think Miami's, you know, got one of the better offensive coordinators in college football in Shannon Dawson. And I think defensively, they're going to put a lot of pressure on a quarterback that has not even completed 50% of his passes for the year. So I like Miami in this one. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I do think Miami pulls this one out. I, I do, for some reason, think it's going to be a close game just because you got a lot of new guys in there. Uh, so I feel like there's going to be some errors here and there. Uh, you got a young Ryan Rodriguez in there, a young Matt McCoy in there. So maybe some potential for some missed assignments on some blitzes, maybe some holding penalties here and there. And those are, are the kinds of plays that may cost you – cost you games but i think on offense they're going to zone read them to death bro <laughs> i really think it's just going to be uh, a bunch of uh jakari brown keepers or uh you know mark fletcher just gutting them uh down the middle i i, I just i just feel like the, the running game and the offensive line will overpower uh rutgers and and kind of power miami to to a victory here now on defense it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see who they roll out there. Um, I don't know if you know if Daryl Porter is, is officially shut down for the season. I don't see any reason why you really kind of need to play him. Um, I would actually rather see uh, uh, Jadis Richard in there. Um, from what we heard from Lance Gidry, that Corey Couch may play some safety in this game. So you'll see that. And I'm sure you're going to see Damari Brown on the other side as the other corner. And maybe Jadis Richards plays that nickel. Uh, corner and then Jaden Harris and then you still have Jaden Davis as well. So I, I I think that will be kind of the core of the defensive back field. But I, but like you said, man, I don't think they'll even be tested much, you know, because I, I think this defensive line will cause some pressure as, as they always do. Hurricane Bain is is, is going to be there lurking on one side, but who do you think is going to be on the other side? You think it's going to be Jaden Wayne getting? getting a lot of uh, the reps um, at defensive end because we all we all know, of course, that Nigel Lee Kelly and uh, Keem Mesidor are, are still injured 
uh, and who plays that other tackle. I'm assuming Branson Dean's going to play in this game, but is it going to be Ahmad Moten in there, or is it going to be uh, Jacob Lichtenstein, um, you know, in there at D tackle? Um, how do you think this defense really kind of, uh, as far as depth wise, which which players do you think will get some playing time in this game? I think that they could maybe cut things down to more of an odd front more often than that even front that they go with a lot of the times, just because you got some, some athletic bigger bodies like a Jared Harrison hunt to play in, you know, a lot of snaps in this game. He's on the yeah. roster, right? Heck yeah. yeah. I, I know he talks <laughs> yes. about it, but yeah, I feel like he's an athletic body, you know, that, that, that can help out at that as like a more of like a four eye type player. If they move to an odd front, obviously Jacob Lichtenstein is a former defensive end. So he can play that spot as well. Jane Wayne is, is another guy who's gotten reps throughout the year. I think Ahmad Bowen's going to have a big game. And we saw him, you know, get an interception uh, at the end of the year. He's he's a guy I've loved since high school playing at Cardinal Gibbons. He's an athletic, athletic defensive tackle. So I, I'm just hoping that they, they utilize that depth, that linebacker that they have. We saw some of those young guys start to shine a little bit in that Boston College game. So if you utilize more of those linebackers, use Wesley the same as more of an edge guy that they util- that they used him as throughout the year, right? He could play that jack role a little bit as despite being undersized. The pressure that he's able to bring off the edge, we've seen it against Florida State. We've seen it in some bigger games like that. So I I, I think that they're going to be a little more exotic with their fronts rather than just saying than, than just being like, all right, we're going to put a replacement here and a replacement here. It's going to be utilizing Ruben Bain obviously at that defensive end spot doing a heavy rotation for the other two to three positions on that defensive line, utilizing Wesley Besaint as an edge rusher and rotating some of those linebackers in there. Obviously no Corey flag in this one as well, but utilizing some of those young linebackers in this game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm interested to see kind of how, how these young guys can kind of step in and play here. But um, the story is going to be all about Jakari Brown. So I just want to play a little bit, Let's play some over-under here uh, with Jakari Brown. Over-under, 150 yards passing, over-under. I'm going to go over. Not by a lot, but I'm going to go over. I'm going I'm to go under. I'm going to go under on that. I, I just, I mean, he has 220 in his whole career right now, and he had two starts, played in a few games. I'm going to go under. What about uh, – he, he also had Josh Gaddis, though. He also had true, Josh Gaddis true. last year. <laughs> and then he was a Wildcat quarterback before that. So we got to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt, right? Remember in high school at Lowndes, he was able to throw the football a little bit. He wasn't just strictly like a Wildcat quarterback. There's a reason that he was a borderline blue chip prospect coming out of high school. So I, I think that he's a capable passer. He's not accurate all the time, but he does have a big arm. I think that he has a better receiving core comparative to what he had before in regards to the growth of Jacoby George, Xavier Restrepo finally fully healthy. Uh, Isaiah Horton, I think, is going to be able to take a step up in this game. And you got a nice depth, you know, role in, in guys like Ray Ray Joseph. What are we going to see from Robbie Washington, right? Brashard Smith, obviously, one of those jack-of-all-trades can do a lot of different things. I think he's even got the frame to be play, playing outside a little bit if they need him to. So let's see what happens with that. Uh, but I do think he goes over. I, I, not by much. I think it could be like 160 yards. He rushes for like 90. But overall, I think that he he could he could make some things happen, especially with them having their top cornerback out of the game. All right, we'll see. We'll see if he goes over 150. What about 
touchdowns. I'm going to put touchdowns at one point and a half. Do you think he goes over or under? Oh, he's over. He's over one. He, he's going to get two touchdowns. This is a two touchdown game, at least one. Oh, passing touchdowns. A passing touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I said that the first time, but yeah, passing touchdowns. Uh, I'm going to go under on one and a half passing touchdowns. I'm going to say he's at like one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, and then maybe like a couple of rushing touchdowns if we're lucky from the running backs. I said 27 points. So so I think that they score three times. I think that there's potential for two of them to come from Jakari. One from the air, one on the ground, and maybe one from like a Mark Fletcher or something like that. All right. What about interceptions, man? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to put that at the same number, one and a half. Does he go over or under one and a half when it comes to picks? Under. Under. I think he could throw one. He could give it away. They have a good defensive backfield. Uh, you know, they got three good safeties, one of them more of like a bigger nickel so I think that they grab one from an inexperienced yeah. quarterback, but Shannon Dawson's yeah. going to do a good job of protecting this football. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think the same as well. I think he does throw one, uh, you know, but hopefully he doesn't throw two. So I'm going to stick with under as well. But what about rushing yards? Now rushing yards is an interesting one because I expect him to kind of go off in this one. I would set it at around, let's say 75 yards. Does he go over? Over. over. Smash it. Smash the over. Smash the over. I think he's going to get at least one big run in this game. I I love what Shannon Dawson's able to do with the run game, as we've seen throughout the year. I mean, there's been, you know, a number of games this year where this offense has been able to run for 200 yards, and that's with a quarterback who couldn't move. Uh, Could you imagine when he's got a guy in there that's in the conversation for fastest player on the offense at some point? Uh, yeah, right. I think he's going to be able to make some things happen. I think that they're going to utilize his legs really heavy and open things up uh, with the inside zone game, dive game, things like that. With you know, listen, Mark Fletcher is a monster. He's going to ha- you have to account for him. We know Henry Parrish is a really good player. AJ Allen is explosive. If you don't account for those guys, they're going to eat you up. Uh, and I think that's going to open some things up for Jakari. And when Jakari makes start making some plays, I think it's going to open some things up for those three guys. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be an exciting game on the ground for Miami, and I'm, and I'm taking the over. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I think he's going to break off like a 30, 40-yard run, and then over the course of the game, you know, he'll he'll eat and really get well over 75. I think he's close to 100. I'm not sure if he gets 100, but I think he's close to that mark. All right, last one, man, because this is kind of – the deal, I guess you could say, with Jakari Brown is completion percentage. Now, on this highlight here, it, it has him at a 60% completion percentage for the 2022 season. Does he complete over or under 60% tomorrow? I think it's going to be over. And the reason I think it's going to – I think it's going to be over because I think that they're going to limit him in the passing game on, on offense. I think – uh, you know, this coaching staff is going to is going to give him easy throws, a lot of screens. We saw screens throughout the year. I, I don't think that's going to they're going to deviate from that. It's going to be pitch and catch opportunities for him just trying to get, you know, playmakers in space like Rashard Smith and Jacoby George. And I, I think that they're going to he's going to throw the ball 20 to like 25 times at most. And I think that he's going to complete 
around 60% of his passes, 60 to 65%. Not be, you know, crazy, but listen, if he's throwing five to 10 yard passes, he's capable of just, uh, of doing just that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there because I don't just, I don't think he throws a lot of passes, period. You know, I think he he throws maybe 17, 18 throws. And, you know, do I think he is going to complete like 11 of those? Yeah, I, I think he'll complete maybe 11 of those throws. And I think they're going to be easy dump offs for the most part or a schemed up type throw where Dawson is scheming somebody open where he can just hit him. Um, but yeah, I, I think he, he gets over a 60, 60%. Um, we'll see that that's all I got as far as over unders concerned for, for Jakari Brown. But last, last thing on him, pretty much this is his last game as a Miami hurricane, in my opinion, because I think I was already kind of 95% thinking that this is going to be his last game. But the fact that um, at the New York Stock Exchange, they had two players represent Miami. One of them was a quarterback. The other was Akeem Mesador. It wasn't Jakari Brown, Frank. It was Emery Williams. <laughs> it was Emery Williams. You know, like from a business perspective or organization perspective, I'm going to want somebody up there that I know is going to be up there with us next season. Of course, Akeem Mesador is coming back. Emory Williams obviously coming back. Why put someone up there that you're not sure might be coming back? So for me, that was checkmate. Definitely, this is going to be Jakari Brown's swan song, and I do wish him well for this game and after this game. You think he's, he's done, right? I think he's done. Just the way he responded to fans on social media at times. You know, the, the comment, where was this love before, you know, the bowl game? Uh, just, well, just overall, he seems checked out in regard to being a Miami Hurricane. And just the fact that they're going after the portal so hard at the position. You do have Emory Williams coming back. You hear, you know, voices from inside the program saying he could be the future of the program. They like Judd Anderson. There's just really not a bright future for Jakari Brown at the quarterback position at University of Miami. And I think with the way the transfer portal is, where now you can transfer multiple times, he's got to, you know, exhaust the options of being a potential starting quarterback for somebody next yeah. year. And I don't think that's at the University of Miami, especially if they get the guy that they want out of the portal, which would be a Cam Ward or a Will Howard. Like, there's just no chance that he's going to be able to outplay those guys in the spring with the financial obligation that they're going to have to that to that player and the fact that there's going to be so much hype going around that guy so yeah, for me it, it, it i think it's a mutual divorce i don't think that it's a bad divorce sometimes it just doesn't work out and the yeah. fact that he's sticking around for the bowl game to me it's a sign of respect like he's here oh, you know to put one last hurrah on you know, I don't think that there's ill will. Remember, he really wasn't a recruit for Mario. He was a guy who stuck around with Mario as he took the job, uh, you know, with the potential of being the guy. But remember, Mario didn't really recruit him throughout the process. Yeah. He was a Manny Diaz recruit. So overall, it's probably the best for both parties. Unless 
Unless, Frank, he throws for like 500 yards and throws for five touchdowns. It's against like, Rutgers. Like, it's like 200 Rutgers. yards rushing. I don't care. Like, if you're throwing it's that, if Rutgers. you're doing that well, I don't care. Rutgers is, is you a, remember. They're a bowl team. Uh, they, you know, they, they played a lot of teams. Very, very tough. Uh, they've got a, the top rusher in the Big Ten. Uh, so the, this is not – this is not like, I don't know, like Bethune, okay? <laughs> uh, if he rushes for over over 100 yards, 200 yards, passes for 500, you know, five touchdowns, then that's the only way I think he stays. <laughs> I'm going to give you I'm going to give you one story, right, about a similar situation like that and I, and this is why I want you to temper your expectations. I want you to go back like mid 2010s. Oklahoma is like is going into, I think it was the Sugar Bowl, right? They were playing Alabama. I think it was A.J. McCarron's last game. And they beat the brakes off Alabama. They beat the brakes off Alabama. And they had a quarterback that I don't even think he was like, he wasn't really supposed to be like the future of the position, right? He wasn't like a ballyhooed quarterback. His name was Trevor Knight, right? And he came in the next season with all these Heisman expectations. Do you know that he didn't even finish the year as the starting quarterback for Oklahoma the next year? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Do you, know, that. do you know who replaced him? Do you remember who replaced him? I don't. I believe it was Baker Mayfield. Okay, oh. that's who replaced him. Okay, so my thing is right. Yes, he could have a record-setting performance, but no, it's not going to work, man. It's not going to work. It, it, you know, so I think that. It's best for Jakari to go somewhere else, maybe closer to home. It's best for Miami to go get an impact guy out of the portal. Continue to let Emery, Miller, Emery Williams mold himself into Ken Dorsey. And, and Miami is going to be on the track for championships, and Jakari Brown is going to be on the track to getting himself into the NFL at some point. So that's my opinion. All right. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully he you know throws for 500 just to make it interesting. Uh, but – uh, Miami, again, playing in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium, 2.15 p.m. start on ESPN. Uh, of course, coverage on canescounty.com. Make sure you follow uh, this podcast, the Storm Tracker podcast, on all platforms. And also subscribe to the website, canescounty.com, for free. Use the promo code Miami30. That is going to wrap it up for this version of At the Crib here on the Storm Tracker Podcast. Until the next episode.